Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. This episode on the Book of Revelation is presented by Dr. Christina Sanderson. During the lecture, she references different depictions of the Book of Revelation in art throughout the centuries. If you'd like to follow along and see the images of the art, just head to calvarystgeorges.org slash revelation and follow along slide by slide. Enjoy. I love the book of Revelation. All epic high fantasy movies and novels pale by comparison with its dreams, visions, and heavenly journeys. It is about uncovering things that are hidden and revealing things that are invisible. It deals with the numinous, a word that describes the experience of divinity or the holy. Revelation, it's a door to the supernatural and transcendent. The book of Revelation has inspired many artists and writers from the medieval illuminations to Renaissance artists like Albert de Dürer and Hieronymus Bosch, to William Blake, and other 19th century British Romantic painters. Why is Revelation so fascinating? Partly because it seeks to express a mystery, something that we cannot imagine, even with the best art. In his book Church Dogmatics, Karl Barth describes the impossibility of of comprehending the glory of God. Quote, As the place of God, heaven is, of course, a place that is inconceivable to us. It cannot be comprehended with any other real or imaginary place. It is inaccessible. It cannot be explored or described or even indicated. The book of Revelation tells in prophetic language of events in the future that are beyond imagining. Henry Nouwen writes of twin babies in the womb debating if there is life after delivery. One baby says, nonsense, there is no life after delivery. What would that life be? The other ponders, I don't know. But there will be maybe more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat with our mouths. The doubting baby laughs. This is absurd. Walking, it's impossible. And eat with our mouth? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies all nutrition. The second baby answers. I think there is something, and maybe it's different from what we have now. The first baby replies, no one ever came from there, and uh, there's nothing after delivery. Well, I don't know, says the twin, but certainly 
we will see mother and she will take care of us. I based this presentation on several sources, but I drew heavily on the commentary on Revelation by the Reverend Joseph Mangina that Ben recommended to me and I recommended to you. Mangina <laughs> divides the 22 chapters of Revelation into two parts, into four parts. Part one, chapters one to three, Jesus on Patmos where John received the vision of revelation from Jesus Christ. Part 2, chapters 4 to 11, the making and remaking of the world, describing the last days, the the apocalypse. Part 3, chapters 12 to 18, fallen is Babylon, where Babylon symbolizes the fallen world. Part 4, Chapters 19 to 22, the Supper of the Lamb, telling of God's kingdom, the new Jerusalem. The book of Revelation may be referred to as Revelation to John, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, the the Apocalypse, the Apocalypse of John, or just Revelation. The first word of Greek text, Apocalypsis, means disclosure or unveiling, like pulling back a curtain or lifting a lid. The authorship of Revelation has been ascribed to John the Evangelist, though some sources cite other authors. Revelation 1.9 says that the author wrote the book on the small island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. Quote, I, John, both your brother and a companion in tribulation, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The traditional sources date the book to the reign of the Roman Empire Domitian and the evidence tends to confirm this. Adela Collins, a biblical scholar at Yale Divinity School, writes, Early tradition says that John was banished to Patmos by the Roman authorities. This tradition is credible because banishment was a common punishment used for the practices of magic and astrology. Prophecy was viewed by the Romans as belonging to the same category, whether pagan, Jewish, or Christian. Prophecy with political implications, like that expressed by John in the book of Revelation, would have been perceived as a threat to Roman political power. We will start with a painting by Hieronymus Bosch, dated about 1435. It shows St. John the Evangelist sitting on a hill. He is looking to heaven and is receiving a vision from God. He holds a book and a quill. An angel points to the woman of the apocalypse in the sky. Traditionally, she's associated with the Madonna. At the bottom left, we see the eagle, the symbol of St. John. At the bottom right, we see a demon that is trying to steal John's quill. St. John is writing to the seven churches. This map shows the Greek island of Patmos, and also the location of the seven churches. 
In the Cloister's Apocalypse, a 14th century manuscript that looks like a medieval comic book, we see the seven angels guarding the seven churches. Seven symbolizes completeness or perfection. The Greek word for completeness is translated as bringing to a close, fulfilling ending. The word is used in Revelation to indicate the end of times. Christ, the Lord of the Church, is calling the seven churches to be shining lamps in the world, to be his light. In Durer's woodcut, we see God with the seven stars in his right hand and the seven lampstands. John is warning the churches against false teaching. If a church is not a shining lamp in its lampstand, will be removed. Christ, the Lord of the Church, is calling the seven churches to be shining lamps in the world, to be his light. In Durer's, Durer's woodcut, we see God with the seven stars in his right hand and the seven lampstands. You can imagine that. John is warning the churches against false teaching. If a church is not a shining light, its lampstand will be removed. Now we will talk about the church in Pergamum. It has a pretty bad reputation. Temples of Athena and Zeus, as well as a shrine dedicated to Emperor Augustus. Jezebel, a false prophet, seduced the Christians to commit the sin of sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Christ is calling us to repentance. Christ warns the churches that if they don't repent, he will come, quote, with the sword of my mouth. And imagine the 13th century German painting graphically and literally depicts the sword coming up to Christ's mouth. In, in chapter 4, the location shifts from earth to heaven. In ecstasy, John finds himself in God's presence. He tells us what he sees. God sits on his throne with the 24 elders and the four living creatures worshipping him, depicted in William Blake's watercolor. The 24 elders might be the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. Church and heaven come together to glorify God in a hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The next chapter tells how God will defeat evil. We need that. (laughs) How will will this be accomplished? Jesus opens the scroll with the seven seals. Durer's woodcut, the adoration of the lamb, portrays a lamb that is not meek and mild, but rather a powerful figure having seven horns and seven eyes. The elders and angels cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In addition to the elders and angels, among those who are worshiping are the four living creatures, the lion, ox, man, and eagle. The lion stands for wild beasts, the ox for domestic animals, the man for all creatures, the eagle for birds. Now... If you don't like this interpretation of the four living creatures, it might symbolize the four evangelists. The lion represents Mark, the calf, Luke, the man, Matthew, and the eagle, John. 
Chapter 6 is probably how most of us think of the apocalypse. The imagery becomes violent and awe-inspiring. The Lamb of God begins the prophecy by the opening of the seven seals. The first seal brings the fourth horseman of the apocalypse riding out on white, red, black, and pale horses. One interpretation identifies the white horse with Christ, the red horse with war, and the black horse with famine. Revelation tells us that the rider on the pale horse is death. Then the Lamb opens the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And uh, I heard, I, I read uh, to imagine what will happen if Jake will stop his sermon for half an hour. How would you feel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what, what it's supposed to be, we're supposed to really listen what happens after uh, half an hour. Uh, so... Uh, the, the German painter Guerin shows us how he imagines the opening of the seventh seal. The seven angels with seven trumpets announce the worst destruction you can imagine. Darkness as the sun is struck down, earthquakes, smoking pits, fiery mountains being cast into the sea, scorpions, hail, blood, and monsters. Then John has a vision of the angel coming down from heaven. The angel gives him a little scroll and says, Take take it and eat. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. For many of us, that this brings to mind the familiar Eucharistic command. Take and eat. This is my body. John continues, And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, uh, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. The sweetness may be that John is eager to speak God's words and the bitterness that God's message will reject it by many. Beginning with chapter 12, we're moving from earth to heaven. We start to see... Signs and omens and point us to a woman close in splendor, yet crying out in the great in the agony of her labor pains in another figure, a dragon. Who is the woman? In Illuminations from the Cloisters Apocalypse, the woman looks like the Virgin Mary, but she actually represents Israel or the church. She wears a crown with twelve stars, stars possibly representing the 12 apostles. She wears a crown with 12 stars. As Israel, the woman brings forth Christ. As the church, she gives birth to Christ's disciples, starting with the 12 and continuing till us. She is the mother of the church. The red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and crowns represents Satan. The battle between good and evil continues. This time, the archangel Michael is defender of good against Satan. John writes simply, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his, his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there were no longer any place for them in heaven. 
done deal, victory of good over evil. Saint Michael is recognized and venerated not only by both by Roman Catholics and Protestants, including Anglicans, but even by Islam and Judaism as well. Judaism sees Saint Michael as so powerful in the mind of the people that the rabbinical ordinance prohibits invoking Saint Michael as a mediator between God and the people. Now we are witnessing the battle between the beast and the saints. The dragon has attributes of a leopard, a bear, and a lion. The beast is subordinate to its master. The dragon gives the beast his power, his throne, and all his authority. The beast has ten thorns and seven heads with ten diadems upon its horns. The seven heads of the beast represent, in John's world, seven governments that have oppressed God's people. Men who fear the beast worship it, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? In this particular combat, even the saints are conquered, but not forever. Then the second angel announces, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of her impure passion. Now we start to see that the fall of Babylon is certain. The beast worshippers will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This Luther Bible from the 16th century shows Babylon burning. Chapter 16, it's all about God's wrath. Seven angels bring seven balls of wrath of God causing source turning seas and rivers into blood and bringing droughts, earthquakes, hailstorms, and darkness. The cloister's apocalypse depicts an angel pouring the third bowl, turning rivers into blood. The persecutors of the saints are forced to drink the blood that they had shed. It is all about divine justice, God's judgment of evil. Another image from the cloister's apocalypse depicts the fourth angel pouring out his bowl on the sun, causing intense heat that burns people. The Greek text is translated, and it was given him to scorch men with fire. In the age of global warming, it is tempting to think of our planet being scorched. The next chapter is all about that figure called Babylon the Great. William Blake's painting, The Whore of Babylon, shows a woman glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She is beautiful yet fallen, seductive yet appalling, powerful yet seeking to dominate and control. She sits on the beast with seven heads and ten horns. She is drunk with the blood of saints, and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Many biblical scholars believe that Babylon is the metaphor for the pagan Roman Empire at the time it persecuted Christians. Rome, Roman, Roman rule is associated with brutality and greed. Babylon is diametrically opposed to Jerusalem. Augustine of Hippo, in his book, The City of God, states that Babylon represents love of the world and Jerusalem represents love of God. 
The next chapter brings the end of Babylon. Gerung shows us the drama of the fall of Babylon. The angel carries a message of doom. Fallen now, fallen now, Babylon the mighty. Babylon must fall because of its corruption. John is talking about the great, the powerful, the rich, who had all the wealth of the world. Gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, ivory, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves. We can make a quick switch to the conspicuous consumption of our times. Of course, uh, minus cattle and sheep. Uh, we now enter the last four chapters of Revelation, where together with John, we witness the end of times, the apocalypse, the final revelation of Jesus. This contemporary painting depicts John's numinous vision. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He was set upon it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He eyed, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He's clad in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In a chapter 20, shown here in a painting by Hieronymus Bosch, John described this last judgment. If anyone's name is not found written in a book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Karbarth observed that there is no book of death, only the book of life. The top of the central panel shows angels with trumpets are announcing the end of time, which is overseen by Christ the Virgin Mary, and the Apostles. Below, Bosch is depicting apocalyptic scenes of the Last Judgment, torture and gross physical suffering. We enter a world showing the personification of the seven deadly sins. Gluttony is punished by force-feeding of devil's excrements. No comments here. Let's look closer at the punishment for greed. Men guilty of greed are being boiled in molten metal, metal that has been melted from their money. We also see grotesque scenes like a meat grinder used to process human flesh and a creepy cook frying body parts, getting ready for scrambled eggs. You see a couple of scrambled eggs there. The right panel portrays hell, where Lucifer is a judge. We see the eternal fire shrouded in darkness. Today, we might laugh at this 15th century cautionary depiction of punishment for sins and the horrors of hell, but the fact is we really don't know what the hell will look like. One thing we know for sure, it won't be a fun place to be. Chapter 21 brings a total change, the grand eschatological depiction of the New Jerusalem and the Messianic banquet. We were being catapulted to the fourth dimension. John, in his ecstasy, described the new Jerusalem made out of gold, pearls, and precious stones. 
Gustave Doré depicts in his woodcut the radiance of God's city, clear as crystal. It is the grand finale of the sacred, ma- sacred marriage of the bride and the lamb, Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Here in the, in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the woman and her lover find each other at last. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. A bride pure and holy is beautifully dressed for her husband. Who is the bride? If you think it's me and you, you're wrong. It's not even the church. It is the new Jerusalem. The good news is that will be included. Chapter 22 is final chapter of Revelation. In this 11th century German illumination, we see the water of life flowing from Christ. The angel describes the river of life to John. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Those who believe and those whose robes were washed in the blood are forgiven all sins. They will be connected to the tree of life and will be spiritually nourished forever. This 14th century Italian painting depicts the cross as the tree of life, giving eternal life to both greater saints and lesser saints like us. The book of Revelation ends with, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.